Lori here, and welcome to the Awakening Moments podcast. Grab a cup of tea and let's spend some time together. My co-host Rhonda and I are ordained ministers working together at Life Center Church. We are leaders, wives, moms, and longtime friends. In this podcast, we hope to share some meaningful moments from our lives, everything from lessons we've learned the hard way or how to rise up in the midst of obstacles and insecurities. We will encourage you to take risks and remind you that you are deeply loved and completely worthy. Let's awaken life's most amazing moments together. Today's podcast is one of the workshops from Heart Conference 2019 with speaker Sarah Sambles. The recording at the conference didn't work, so we invited Sarah to the studio to record this workshop so that our listeners could hear it. And you will love it just as much as Rhonda and I did. It is a powerful, powerful workshop. The truth is, we all have dreams that have died or dreams that we've waited so long for that we've just grown weary. God has a bold, creative, and unique purpose for you and for for me, but sometimes disappointment, doubt, or insecurity hold us back from walking in it. In this podcast, we'll explore what to do when dreams are a long time coming or they don't turn out the way we expected. We'll take time to pray for God to breathe fresh life into our hearts. Enjoy this podcast and receive fresh encouragement today for your God-given dreams. Sarah Sambles is a writer, blogger, and communications coach. After her conversion to Christ at age six, God began to reveal to her his unconditional love and the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Her heart is to see people, especially women, set free into God's design and gifts for them. This is one reason she campaigns against human trafficking. Alongside her training in communications, teaching, and public speaking, Sarah has spoken to groups of all ages, both large and small, in the business world and in churches. Her communication style is interactive, thoughtful, and encouraging. Born in the UK, Sarah studied literature and marketing in England and Paris. In 2020, she moved to Ottawa with her husband and two daughters after God repeatedly confirmed this was where he wanted them. When she's not writing, you'll find her reading or on the porch planning her next trip to the ocean. Dive in and let God reawaken the dreams in your heart. Hi, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Um, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. So we're going to talk about awakening dreams, moving into God's place and purpose for us. Um, uh, Now, when I say dreams, I'm not talking about the kind of dreams you have at night, but the hopes and desires that we all have. So let's just pray. Father, I want to thank you that you're with us. I want to thank you for the dreams you've put in our hearts. I want to pray that today you would bring fresh life and awaken dreams. Okay, so do any of you have a dream that seems to have died? You know that feeling? What I want to do together today um, is is look look at what that feels like and what we do when we're in that place. Because I believe God has a bold, creative unique purpose for each of us. But sometimes disappointment, 
doubt or insecurity hold us back from walking in it. So what I want to do today is look at what happens in three different places. Number one, when dreams are really exciting and they seem to materialize quickly. And then I want to look at dreams when they're a long time coming. And lastly, I want to look at dreams that just seem impossible. So whether you're soaring on the mountaintop or slumped in the valley today, I know God has got something for you. He wants to reawaken dreams. He wants you to find faith and he wants you to hold on to hope. Are you with me? All right. So often I think it's the enemy that holds us back from our God-given, bold, creative, unique dreams, that potential, that place, that purpose that God has for us. And often that suffering, suffering draws our eyes away from our dreams. Now that suffering might be physical, it might be physical pain, illness, it might be emotional, it might be relational, it might be to do with family, your job. So I know this workshop is about dreams, but we're going to start with suffering. So I want this to be our anchor verse today. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Let's look at that together. It says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Hooray. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And this is the bit I really want to focus on. It says here, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what do we do in the face of suffering? Because it's a reality for all of us. Let's look at that last part again. It says we have the Holy Spirit who's been given to us and he pours love into our hearts. And that is what gives us hope that won't put us to shame. So let's hold that in our minds as we talk about our dreams. So when dreams come around quickly, when they're exciting, it's quite easy to hold on to that kind of hope. Um, I've got one of those. I uh, had coffee with a new writer friend probably about 18 months ago. Uh, a mutual friend introduced us and I always say yes to meeting up with writers because the writing life can be quite lonely. So I met up with her. When I got home that night, I could not get to sleep. And actually it wasn't because I'd had a coffee. My brain was buzzing and I just got that feeling that an idea was forming in my mind. What had happened as we'd been chatting over coffee is that I'd explained my experience in marketing, teaching, training, public speaking, and, uh, and how I enjoyed all those things. And this writer said to me, oh, I feel so intimidated and daunted and scared of the concept of marketing myself as a writer. If you offered those services, I would snap them up. And that phrase stayed with me. That's why my brain was buzzing. I lay there thinking, what if I could combine all those things I've been passionate about all my life, writing, teaching, communicating, marketing, and what if I could help other writers with that? I recognize that feeling because I know that's how I felt when I felt compelled to write my first children's story. And the feeling just wouldn't leave. So when I eventually did get to sleep, when I woke up the next day, I prayed about it. 
I talked about it with friends. I talked about it with my husband. Um, but this feeling wouldn't go away. It was actually a really bad time for me to be thinking about starting a new venture. Uh, I felt very close to hitting a wall. I felt I didn't have capacity to start anything new. And God had spent the previous five years teaching me to pace myself, to embrace my limits, and to realize that I wasn't loved or judged based on my productivity. So it did not make any sense to take on something new. So I chatted to God about it in the car. And I laid all this out to him, you know, said, I, I, I'm excited, but I, I, there's no way I can fit this into my life. And I just felt him say to me, well, you can ask me to take something away or you can simply ask me for more capacity. Wow. I hadn't thought about asking God for more capacity because I thought I wasn't meant to be overproductive and over busy. So to me, that felt like the green light. I prayed for more capacity. I bought a course about blogging. I went to my favorite cafe every morning and I worked on my new business idea. A year later, I had a website. I had a blog. I was blogging most weeks. I had a newsletter. I'd done three workshops with writers. I had subscribers to my newsletter. I'd worked one-on-one -on -one with writers. Just like that. Ta-da! So the dream was really exciting and it did come together quickly. And yeah, I had that hope. But at the same time, I started struggling with self-doubt and depression and anxiety. There were lots and lots of times I had to put the brakes on. There were many times I caught myself wondering, did I really hear God? Am I doing the right thing? Why do I feel depressed and anxious if I'm doing the right thing? I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. Anyone else have that feeling? And I think what that taught me is that I just had to continue leaning on God with this particular dream. And every time I doubted, I just went back to that moment in the car. God had said, you can ask for more capacity. And that was my green light. So I kept returning to that. And I think the thing I've taken from it is, even when we don't feel adequate for a dream that's taking place in our lives, it doesn't mean we necessarily took a wrong turn. There's a lot that God has been teaching me through that time of my life. Okay, so how about when dreams don't come around so quickly and it's hard to hold on to hope? Uh, I've got one of those too. Um, I won't share the full story, but um, you might be able to tell from my accent that I'm not from Ottawa. Um, so I lived in, I'm from England and back in 2000, I started traveling to Ottawa on business a couple of times a year. My husband and I were newly married. We didn't have kids. We were young. And God planted a seed in my heart. I'll never forget being in the car with my husband one day, driving to see his parents. And um, I said to Ivan, I've got to share this picture with you that God gave to me. So I shared this picture God had given to me about Ottawa. And uh, the implication was for us to move here to help build the church. Ivan nearly crashed the car. He was so shocked when he heard this uh, story, this picture that I gave him, because God had given him almost exactly the same vision with the same application. And neither of us knew that God had spoken to the other person. So this was so exciting. God had spoken. This was it. We were going to move to Ottawa. We were going to help build God's church. So as we often do when it's big decisions like this, we talked about it. We prayed about it. We prayed with friends. There were lots of coincidences. 
websites we came across, messages on backpacks, friends who gave us prophetic words. And we just kept doing this and we kept thinking, okay, okay, now's the time. But every time we thought that, God seemed to do something else. He seemed to call us to something else. And we just had to keep putting Ottawa on the back burner. This happened year after year. It got very confusing and my conviction dwindled. Fast forward 10 years and we felt a prompting to bring this dream back to God again. Now, by this point, we had two kids and I actually had zero desire to leave England. But we prayed and God spoke clearly. Again, he gave each of us visions separately that were very similar and very clear. He spoke through friends. Uh, So we decided to bite the bullet and start the process of applying for a visa. And God hit every single deadline and every single prayer for confirmation that we laid out to him during that process. I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was definitely obvious. He was patient and gracious with us. So we got to the spring of 2012. This is 12 years after God initially spoke to us. And here we are. We had a visa. Uh, It was going to expire that summer. Um, So this was the point. Spring 2012, if we were moving that summer, we had to give notice on our jobs. But we had absolutely nothing to come to here in Ottawa. No job. No family no home, no church, no school for the kids. In human terms, it was a foolish thing to do. And I was seriously doubting. So I dropped my kids at school one day and I texted some friends because I knew the deadline for handing in our notice was was imminent. I'd recently shared at a church meeting about how I had journaled all of the prophecies and promises and visions and dreams God had given us about Ottawa. And one of my friends I texted, she replied back. She said, look back over your journal. Now, I was about to get in the car to go to a meeting. I couldn't get my journal. I didn't have time. And obviously, I couldn't read because I was driving. That's illegal in England. Um, So I thought, okay, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit in the car and I am going to repeat back to God absolutely everything he has ever said to me about Ottawa. By the end of that 30-minute journey, I was convinced that we should move. And here we are. We did it, and God has been faithful. Now, that was a 12-year wait. Um, Waiting is hard. But when I look at waiting in the Bible, I see that it's not a passive verb. When we read Psalm 25.3, it says, None who wait for you shall be put to shame. There's that promise again that we won't be put to shame. And Psalm 130 verse five says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. What do watchmen do? Do they just sit around twiddling their thumbs, getting impatient? They look, they're watchmen, they're watching. So they're looking for hints, for evidence. Uh, We try to do that in that 12-year period, and that's something that does build your hope and your faith when you're waiting for a dream to come through. And then in Psalm 31, 24, it tells us, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all who wait for the Lord. 
we do need courage when we're waiting, but how do we get that? Well, some of the things I did was, as I said, I had this journal and I wrote down every single promise and verse and prophecy and prayer uh, that God gave us. And I often think about Mary and it says that she treasured up all these things, all these things that God had told her about her son. She's treasured them up and pondered them in her heart. I bet she needed to do that at times when she couldn't figure out if God's promises were true and if this son of hers was really going to be the savior. It didn't make sense. It didn't add up sometimes, but she treasured and pondered those promises. We need that discipline of remembering. That's one of the ways we take courage and keep on to our hope. Um, God's word as well. I mean, I have verses on post-it notes on my wall. Uh, I've had several for several months and I have to look at them every day. Um, the other thing I do is I have godly people around me. Do you have a network of godly people that you trust and respect, who you know you can call on to stand with you, who believe with you and pray with you? And the other thing that builds our courage and hope is testimonies. When we hear stories of what God has done for other people, it reminds us he is able and he is good. All right, so what about when it comes to a dream that is impossible, a dream that has died? I've got one of those too. Um, about seven years ago, just before we were due to leave England, I was asked to attend a conference to help a friend prepare some school resources. And I heard this story about a child who was tricked into a situation of hard labor where he was not paid and he was taken over the border to another country where he didn't speak the language. It was a horrendous story and it haunted me. It wouldn't leave me. I kept thinking about it. I told everyone I knew about it. And I felt compelled that I needed to write this story for children so that they knew this kind of thing happened. Again, I got all of those same sensations, the sort of buzzing in the brain and the, the, the thought and the story wouldn't leave me. I couldn't sleep. So I knew this was God. So I started on the process. I knew nothing about writing a, a story. I, I have written a lot in my life, but not fiction. Uh, so I started this process. And uh, at the same time, we were planning to leave England. So there was, it was a busy time. I went to a meeting with the worship team for them to pray for me as we were leaving England and they asked about my story of why we were moving to Ottawa so I briefly shared our story and I remember saying these words, the rest is still unwritten. A, a friend I respect very much with a strong prophetic gift came and prayed over me after I'd shared and she said, those words you said were prophetic, Sarah. God has stories in you from the father heart that he wants you to write. She had no idea that I had just started researching my first story. No one but my family. Now I've worked on that story for years. I've written it, I've rewritten it. I've got feedback on it. I've sent it to literary agents. I've sent it to publishers. Another friend prophesied about it being published an agent showed interest, a publisher showed interest. I went to my daughter's class and read it to them. They loved it, but it still sat on a shelf. It's not published. 
And if I'm going to be honest with you, my faith goes up and down. It's a roller coaster emotionally. And I don't actually know what God is going to do with that story. Sometimes we don't have faith. Sometimes we get weary. At those times, we need to lean on our friends and we need to lean on the word of God. Sarah, Abraham's wife in the Bible, is someone who knew this situation. She knew that feeling of doubt. She knew that feeling of unbelief. So she was married to Abraham and she was about 90 when God told her she was going to have a son. It was impossible. She was too old. So she laughed when she heard God say that, wouldn't you? I think I would. This is what it says in Genesis 18, 10 to 14. The Lord said, I promise I'll come back to you next year at this time and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah happened to be listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old. Sarah was past the age of childbearing and so Sarah laughed to herself thinking, now that I've become old, will I enjoy myself again? What's more, my husband is old. The Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, can I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will come back to you next year at this time and Sarah will have a son. Now, what happened after that? Because the thing is, sometimes I think that if I don't believe strongly enough, God won't do it. But what did God do? God gave them a son. It says in Romans 4, 17 to 21, is a great passage to read about this. And in verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made you, which is Abraham, the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Do you need to hear that truth again today? God is the God who gives life and calls into existence things that don't exist. I need reminding of that myself. What do you have in your heart at the moment that seems dead? A dream that seems to have died? Remember, your God gives life and calls into existence things that do not exist. So when we're in that stage, we need to find a way of holding on. There's another woman in the Bible who shows us this incredible example of holding on when her dream seemed to have died. Hannah. She was desperate for a baby and her husband's other wife had children and was very, very cruel to her about her barrenness. Hannah was in absolute anguish. So we read her story in 1 Samuel 1. Two, um, through to chapter 2, 21, and I'll pick it up in 1 Samuel 1, verse 7. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. That's the, the other wife used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord 
all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now Hannah was so distressed that the way she was praying looked crazy. And the priest, Eli, thought she was drunk and thought she thought she would, was mad. So he approaches her and says, hey, have you been drinking? Like you, you are looking crazy right now. And this is what Hannah says. No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favour in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Now, I find some things fascinating in this story. The first thing is Hannah makes this vow with God. She is asking for a son. That's all she wants. But she vows that if God gives her a son, she's going to give that son back to him. That seems crazy. But actually, she understood something. She realized this wasn't about the dream. This was about the dream giver. She was willing to give her dream back to God. Have we done that? Have we consecrated our dreams to God? The second thing really stands out to me is she poured out her soul. She was real. She was raw. Do you do that? There are times I have to lock my bedroom door so no one will hear me. (laughs) That's okay. God can cope with that. You can take your raw emotions to him. He wants to hear your heart. And I think the thing I find most amazing about this story is that Eli says to her, you will will find favour. God is going to grant your petition. And it says she was no longer sad. Now, unless I have misunderstood the story of the birds and the bees, nothing has actually happened to Hannah. She is not pregnant. She is standing in front of the priest. She is not pregnant yet. But it says... She was no longer sad. She went away and she ate. She hadn't been eating. She went away, she ate, she was no longer sad. Why? Nothing had actually physically changed about her circumstance. But what it is, is she decided to receive the promise from God. She decided to believe it and hold on to it. And there is a gap sometimes between holding on to and accepting and believing the promise and then actually seeing it in the physical world. There is often a time gap, but she decided to hold on to that promise. So we've looked at some stories from my life and I'm sure you have stories of dreams where they've been exciting, dreams where you've had to wait a long time and maybe you have a dream today that feels like it has died, a dream that seems impossible. It is difficult and it's dark being in that place. And I I know that feeling. But it says in Psalm 30 verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I know what it's like to be in the night weeping. But every single morning, God brings a sunrise. And that to me, 
is a reminder of his faithfulness, his creativity, his power, the fact that he can bring something from nothing. So let's go back to that verse in Romans where it tells us that we can have a hope that does not put us to shame even when the physical circumstances don't seem to support it. When the Holy Spirit pours love into our hearts, that hope will not put us to shame. I remember just before we moved to Ottawa, a friend said to me, oh, don't get too excited. Now, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to protect my heart, and I get that. And just the other night, I was chatting with a writer friend, and she said a very similar thing. She didn't want to get too excited about whether someone was interested in her story. I understand that. But this verse tells us that hope, when it's from the Holy Spirit, is not going to put us to shame. So you can get as excited as you like because God will not put you to shame. Your dream may take time and it may look different, but God will not put you to shame when you put your hope in him. Thank you for listening to the Awakening Moments podcast today. Like or subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Lori Boucher and Rhonda.Corto. May you be awakened to the moments that matter the most.